0: In John, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, you, O Lord. Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation, and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. Praise to you, O Christ. Praise be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Amen. On the church's calendar, which of course you know is different from other calendars, today is the last Sunday of the calendar year as next Sunday a brand new year begins with a brand new season of Advent. The church calendar takes its seasons, and not from the rhythms and seasons of the earth or the sun, but rather from the rhythms and seasons in the life of Jesus, God the Father's Son, which can serve to remind us, if we have ears to hear, that I, our lives and seasons on this earth are lived best when they too are built upon God's Son. For one day, every rhythm and season, but the rhythms and seasons of Jesus will come to an end as Jesus comes again, this time not to a humble manger, but in the fullness of his glory fully to establish his kingdom where he will reign for forever in anticipation of which we sing today our versions of praises that from then on will never end. All hail the power of Jesus' name and crown him Lord of all, Lord of all, King of kings, all of them, The pompous and the pious, the faithful and the fakes, the good and the bad and the ugly, all of whom one day will hail the power of Jesus' name when with trembled knees and on their faces they humbled, join all. In the presence of he whose greatness is the greatness of neither them nor their nations or kingdoms, but rather the greatness of God and the greatness of forever. And so in the book of Daniel, written centuries before Jesus' death, Daniel has what he calls a vision in the night in which he sees... One, he says, one who looks like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. And Daniel says, to him be given dominion. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship. Notice that. To him was given. It is interesting to me the way sometimes the prophets, when speaking to the future, do so by speaking in the past tense grammatically reminding us that what is to come is as sure and certain as something that is already done. To him was given dominion and glory and kingship, says Daniel, and then turns to the future to speak of it in the future sense and tense and to say that his kingdom shall never be destroyed. And so too in the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible written a century or so after Jesus' life on earth, John, has this spectacular series of visions and he begins his sharing of these visions with these words, grace to you and peace from he, and now let's take all the tenses, who was and who is and who is to come and from Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Daniel. And John, as clearly as strange visions full of strange symbols can be clear, say it and say it again. Jesus is the king. He is the king of kings. For unlike the rulers of this world whose nations and kingdoms have risen and fallen and come and gone and will ever do so, come and go. Christ is the king of a kingdom that will not ever come to an end, and all will one day bow, and all will one day see. Of course, that doesn't change the fact, does it, that in the days and rhythms and seasons of our lives in this world, with its kinds of kings and kingdoms, it's not always easy to see, is it? Do you know what I mean? Or am I the only one who sometimes sees some of the things right there to be seen and then then wonders about things? Things like if Jesus is king, and if Jesus is good, then why do so many bad things happen to people who are good? If Jesus is king... And Jesus loves the little children of the world. Why are there innocent little children in this world who are suffering and dying the way they are? If Jesus is king and Jesus is the prince of peace, why do wars and violence still seem to be the way that nations and peoples get their way? If Jesus is king and specifically the king of love, then why in this world does it seem to be precisely not love getting the most things done these days? Now, I'm not suggesting that everybody here wonders questions like that or even needs to. But I have no doubt that some of you sometimes do. As I have no doubt that some of us preachers sometimes insult you either by completely ignoring questions like that as if they don't exist or even worse treating questions like that as though they are a symptom of weak faith and therefore they are questions to be scolded rather than to be answered or perhaps better I should say rather than to be honestly wrestled with as I suspect that the full and final answers to some of our hardest questions about God can finally only come from God and for that matter, can perhaps only fully and finally be understood by God. That said, what I wanted to say on this Christ the King Sunday is to respect questions like that by asking them and then not completely and fully answering them because, of course, I'm not God. But instead, to wrap around those questions, first of all, some thoughts that I believe are true, but then more importantly, some promises that Christ the King promises are true. And this is a king who keeps promises. Every single campaign he promise he ever made has been kept or will be. Let me summarize all of those questions under the umbrella of this version of the question. If Jesus is the king of heaven and earth, and therefore the most powerful power there is, then why in heaven's name are things on earth the way they so often are? Are you with me? Okay, a first thought, something I believe to be true. To say that Christ is king and to say that in the end his will is the will that will be done is not to say that every single thing between now and then is a specific example of his will being done. For reasons we can't probably fully understand, Reasons probably related to the freedom God the Creator saw fit to give those God created. Reasons no doubt related to the sin we humans inevitably see fit to use our freedom for. For those reasons and more, I believe things happen in God's creation that I'm convinced aren't God's will, except for the fact that they fall somehow within the bounds of how God chose to order creation. For God chose to order creation upon, above all, love. And love, so says 1 Corinthians 13, is, does not insist on its own way. And so God's Son came specifically not to be a king like the kings of this world who would insist on and bully and force their ways into our lives, but rather to be a king who would love his way into our lives and into our hearts too. But love, of course, in order truly to be loved, can never be forced. For forced intimacy isn't intimate. Coerced acts of love aren't loving. Which means that love, if it's the real thing, can always be resisted, turned from or for that matter nailed to a cross. So I do believe that some things that happen in the world happen not because they are the ultimate will of our king, but rather because our king is the king of love who still so uncoercively does love a world which still so does love its hammers and its nails and its crosses. At this time and place in King Jesus' kingdom, in other words, some things happen but not because King Jesus wills them to happen, but rather because he's not willing to give up on love or on us. A second thought, to say that Christ is king with a power that is bigger than us is not to say that there are not also some other powers which are bigger than us and which oppose Christ and his rule. The books of Daniel and Revelation from which we read today are the two main examples in the Bible of apocalyptic books, apocalyptic books being really strange books because they are presented in the form of really strange visions or dreams, containing really strange images and symbols, most of which are beyond bizarre especially if taken literally, which some then proceed to do with interpretations of the visions and images that are even bizarrer than the images and visions themselves. Personally, I think that that kind of fine print, literal reading of apocalyptic books not only misses the point, but is also a fool's errand. And I am backed up in that assessment by, I think, the pretty much unchallengeable historical fact that every single person who has ever made prophetic kinds of here and now specific predictions based on literal interpretations of fine print details in the Bible's apocalyptic books has pretty much been made a fool of when their predictions turned out to be wrong. Every single time. So I don't read Daniel and Revelation that way. I'm not saying I'm not a fool in some ways. I'm not that particular brand of fool. I read the apocalyptic books for their clear, big picture storyline and their clear, big picture themes, one of the clearest of which is that the life we live and see from day to day is merely a chapter in the visible portion of a bigger story being played out in the whole of history. And that bigger story is a cosmic-sized story of a battle between good and evil. And the biggest picture of all the apocalyptic books is that good will prevail, ultimately and entirely, over evil, that ultimate victory being as sure as Easter's empty tomb. But here's the thing, apocalyptically speaking, though the powers of evil, including Satan, the power behind the powers, the beast behind the beasts, have been defeated, they haven't yet surrendered. So there are still some battles being fought, and where there are battles, there are wounds and casualties. To say that Christ is king with a power that is bigger than us is not to say that there are not also other powers which are bigger than us and which oppose Christ and his kingdom's rule. And until those beastly powers surrender or are defeated entirely, we will keep seeing some of the things we see, even though Christ is king. A third thought, to say that Jesus is king does not change the fact that sometimes the way he goes about doing the things he does are hidden from us. Sometimes, including being hidden beneath scenes and events in which it may look like he's doing nothing at all. I'm thinking now of those verses from the Gospel of John and their larger context, where we see a bloodied and almost entirely silent Jesus, interrogated, mocked, ridiculed, judged, and eventually crucified by those with some real power. "Are you the King of the Jews?" Jesus Pilate asks, and Jesus answers an elusive one about a kingdom not of this world. And a little later, hail, hail, king of the Jews, the soldiers say mockingly as they whip him and spit on him and press a crown of thorns deep into his flesh. And Jesus' response was not to answer at all. And his closest friends knew then, right? They knew because of all they could see that on this horrible day all was being lost. They didn't know. It. it would take Easter hindsight to know that, in fact, on that horrible day, all was being won. In the published diaries of the infamous Nazi Joseph Goebbels, there are references to Mahatma Gandhi and his resistance to British rule in India. Gandhi like Martin Luther King Jr. in America, a few years later, read Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and took Jesus' words about turning the other cheek to your enemy seriously and literally. And Goebbels believed that Gandhi was a fool. If he organized militarily, Gandhi, Goebbels thought, as popular as he was, he might hope to win the freedom of India, but he was certain that Gandhi couldn't possibly accomplish that by following a path of non-resistance and peaceful resolution. Yet, of course, as history played itself out, India peacefully won its independence while the violent Nazi military machine was bound to hell. What Goebbels regarded as weakness actually turned out to be strength. What he thought of as strength actually turned out to be weak. To say that Jesus is king does not change the fact that sometimes the way he goes about doing the things he does are hidden from us. Including being hidden sometimes beneath scenes that be look weak or maybe look like he's not doing anything at all. Which take us to the last word of this sermon of this church year. Whatever the source of, or the reason for some of the things we see happening in our lives and in the world and don't understand, there is the promise of all promises that has echoed throughout the world and through the heavens ever since Easter morning. And that promise of all promises is the promise that Jesus is King. And in the end, including the end of all ends, The end of all years, the last word is a word that will belong to him and to him clearly and to him only. For whatever reason in God's creation, sin is a power that still wields power in our lives and in the world. For whatever reason, maybe reasons that aren't ours to understand, evil still wields power in our lives and in God's world. And for reasons that sometimes even faith can't see. Some of the ways that God does choose to be active in our lives and in the world are hidden. Even hidden occasionally beneath scenes where it may look like God's not doing anything at all. Don't be fooled by what you see or by what you don't see. For Easter came. And the Easter of all Easter's is yet to come. It will come as King Jesus for all to see comes again. And when he does, darkness at last will be dark no more. Hate and fear at last will be hateful and fearful no more. Death at last will be death no more. The powers of evil at last will be no more. And sin at long last will be no more. And the last word of the years will be Jesus. Whose strong and glorious and gentle rule will be forever. In the meantime, may the life you live for all to see proclaim more than that Jesus is King of Kings. May the life you live for all to see proclaim in word. And deed in compassion and truth in mercy in kindness in faith in hope and love that Jesus too is the king of you Amen